Welcome to Legal Management Talk, official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Christina Vragovich. Joining us today is Susan Hackett, founder of Legal Executive Leadership. She helps clients assess and implement best or leading practices, leverage internal and external knowledge, and demonstrate and increase value to their clients and deliver results. She will be a speaker at ALA's Corporate Law Department Symposium this September as well. So welcome, Susan. Thanks so much, Christina. It's really a pleasure to talk with you and with your listeners. I'm very excited for the upcoming program, and it's really nice to be able to give a little preview like this on the podcast. Definitely. Thank you so much for being here. Let's start out by defining for listeners who don't know, who are law department operations leaders? What are their roles, and how do they interact within their departments and with legal service providers outside the company? Well, thanks. That's a really great place to start. Um, You know, law department operations, or ops leaders as they're often called, are really an incredibly interesting and until lately almost unknown or unappreciated segment of the legal profession, from at least from outside of their companies. Um, but lately their roles and their responsibilities have taken on an increasing importance and certainly an increasing amount of visibility in the last few years. Um, and their numbers are really growing exponentially. They're a very small segment of the legal department uh, staff or, or, or numbers of people out there because most of them exist in larger departments. But um, having said that, the, the number of people performing this role is, is doubling and tripling every year, it seems. So they really have been attracting a lot more attention. So let's, let's start, if we could then, if you're willing, with a few of the basics. Um, law department operations leaders are working on functions that may be changing, um, given the, the extreme change in the legal profession that we're experiencing. But there have always been people performing some aspects of this role or this work in law departments. But previously, those folks didn't really carry a separate title like a legal operations leader title, and they often still held a full-time job as lawyers within the department um, in addition to any operations role that they were, they were performing. So, you know, op, op leaders may have really been known for, you know, uh, as a title as assistant general counsel or deputy general counsel, which was reflective of the kinds of legal responsibilities they played within the legal department, and their ops roles were kind of an additional carry-on on top of those roles. And it's only been within the last 10 years or so that we've started to see the kind of work that they do be aggregated into one person's workload or onto one team's workload if the department is large enough to be able to afford that kind of staffing. You know, it's really an issue um, in legal departments where the, the stakes and where the expenses are large enough to attract scrutiny from the company's management to what the legal department is doing. So I would never infer to you that operations leaders don't exist in smaller law departments or even solo law departments. It's just that it's really not so much a defined function as, a, as, as opposed to some of the kitchen sink type responsibilities those people carry. The folks we're really focused on here on our call and at the, the, the network that, that ALA has for operations leaders are those who work in larger departments where the budget for the department and the staff for the department allow for a leader um, who's full-time on operations and sometimes with the staff. There are now operations leaders in some large legal departments who have 50 or 100 people within the legal department who work for them full-time on these roles, many in more administrative functions like tech and data and things of that nature. 
but obviously it's 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 uh, really advanced in the last five to ten years. There are very few people who've been doing this as a full-time job for more than ten years. There are a couple, um, but for the most part we're dealing with a, a group of people who've been assigned these kinds of roles and functions more recently. So what is it that that role is and, you know, why is it growing and why is it so important? Why are so many more departments starting to appoint these people to this to this work? And I usually like to explain it when I'm talking with someone who doesn't understand it as much or hasn't been exposed to it by offering a better understanding of the role of the general counsel or the chief legal officer, the CLO, who leads a department. If you kind of back it up and you look at what it is that the general counsel for a company in a larger department does, they really have two primary functions. One is to be an executive member of executive management, working in the C-suite with other C-level executives, the CEO, the CFO, the CTO, and so on and so forth, on the company's overall strategic growth and their risk profile. And the second role, which is obviously very important, is that of managing a huge corporate function in a large a uh, company with a large legal department, you're talking about hundreds of employees in a function which is called the legal department. It is a part of the business operations of the company. And for a lot of general counsel, they don't have time if they're performing well in that first role of being a member of the C-suite and thinking strategically to spend as much time as they, sh- as they would like on managing a very sophisticated corporate function called the legal department with hundreds of people and millions, if not billions of dollars in, in spend and responsibility. And so in order to do that latter role, they appoint someone as a right hand. That's your ops leader, the the person who's in charge with the day-to-day operations and management of the, the, the legal department as a business function of the company. Now, as I said, like those things used to be spread over several people in a more informal way, but in the last several years with the increasing focus on the performance and productivity and the spend management within the legal department, there's been a lot more scrutiny from the, the, the corporate executives about whether the that second role of the general counsel has been performed adequately and with the kind of business practices that they are that they expect of every other business function in the company. So they look to these ops leaders and the kinds of specific roles that these ops leaders play may vary depending on the company and its size and its industry, but usually they include some of the following kinds of of responsibilities. Um, hiring career path and development issues for the lawyers, evaluation of the lawyers, even firing of the lawyers and staff if indeed people aren't working out well, the technology needs of the law department, both for the technology they use internally, how it's connected with corporate IT, how it's working with outside or external providers and so on, Um, budget and financial reporting responsibilities within the company because they manage huge budgets in the legal department and, you know, traditionally, I don't think many execs in companies felt that law departments were sufficiently focused on their bottom line and the management of the resources that they have to spend. So there's a really strong focus on that budget and financial reporting. Metrics, for instance, is a huge and important role, being able to measure what it is that the department is doing, both internally and with their external spend, as well as the results they're trying to deliver. They're generally responsible for training for people in the department, lawyers and the the people who support 
the legal function who aren't lawyers. Um, and that includes, therefore, the kinds of training that would include management or business or executive skills, leadership skills, communication skills, and so on, as well as the CLE or substantive legal training that lawyers are responsible for. Um, usually they're involved with things like diversity programs or pro bono programs or community service or public interest work. Um, importantly for the rest of the ALA audience, that's not in legal departments, they're usually responsible for outside vendor policies and retention, so kind of like the procurement functions of the legal department. And that includes, obviously, but is not limited to outside counsel. And an increasing focus, and something we'll be talking about a lot at the meeting, is on the incredibly diverse selection of providers of legal services who are not law firms, who are providing more and more services to legal departments, and how they're better used to fill gaps and to perform roles that law firms aren't really as efficient at producing. Um, they do things like performance evaluations and reports to, to corporate leadership on the, the law department, not necessarily the individual lawyers, but you know how have we been doing as a department within the larger corporation. They work on work environment issues, everything from where the, the lawyers and others are sitting to, to virtual work options and flexible plans, especially that's important when you work with a department where lawyers and staff are spread over many locations, many of which may not be in the U.S for instance, or wherever their home jurisdiction is. Um, they do matter management kinds of responsibilities, so making sure that work that is assigned to the department is actually done because we all know in legal work, missing deadlines or dropping cases is, is not only malpractice, it's just it's incredibly um, detrimental to the corporation's legal health. And they deal with things like professional issues, you know, when there are ethics questions or conflicts questions or, or issues about lawyer licensing, where they're admitted and whether they're uh, able to practice. So as you can see, this is a huge terrain. And as I said, some ops leaders in some companies have a, a subset of that list. Others have more things that I didn't even mention here because obviously I don't want to spew on for too long without us getting back to some of your questions. But you know, whether they're working alone or in teams, these people are making a huge impact on how departments not only provide services internally, but work with external providers. And for a lot of folks who are outside of, of legal departments and don't know about these people and what they do, they keep on pitching their services or paying their attention to the general counsel, who's of course interested, but is usually not the person who is on day-to-day -day management and responsibility for answering all of those questions. So it's really important to people within the communities of lawyers to understand these operations, people's roles, and what it is that they're doing, and to recognize that as a growing segment of the population, which is still mostly populated by lawyers who've kind of graduated into these roles within the legal department, most of those lawyers have not been trained or have very little experience in performing these kinds of business functions. So hence the importance of groups like the Law Department Ops Group within ALA because that's where people can go to not only meet each other and benchmark practices and talk about common issues and problems and network, but also get some education and start to develop their own set of substantive skills and perfect their craft, if you will, since this is that 
uh, that merge of, of an understanding of the legal work of the company with the business operations of how that legal work is going to get done. So, you know, I'd, I'd throw it back to you at this point to make sure that we get to some of these other questions. But, but it's such a fascinating segment. I get very, in, I've, I've been working with these folks for years and, and encouraging this segment, both from the time when I was at ACC and now in my current role. And they really do have a very unique focus and a very unique impact on the market. So this is a role that is growing in visibility and importance and changing a lot. What are Uh some of the innovative practices that you've seen coming out of this segment? That's a really good question. And it's, you know, it's hard to, to just pick one or two. Let me suggest to you that you know this is this is really at the crux of what it is that a lot of of operations leaders and law departments are thinking about because they're working in a time of such rapid change and such increasing pressure for lawyers you know who previously didn't spend an awful lot of time worrying about these kinds of business practices they just you know did their their legal thing right and didn't really worry as much about whether they were being efficient or productive you know what was most important to lawyers was the quality of the work and and being able to 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 feel like they were focused on on the legal result and certainly that hasn't changed but the way that work is done is changing so much now the how if you will of how legal work is performed. And so these kinds of practices that are innovative practices that are rising um, are are varied. It depends on the industry. It depends on the size of the department. It depends on the kinds of legal work. But to give you a sense of it, you know, certainly if you took a look at that list of the kinds of responsibilities that I was just mentioning, when you're looking at things like the talent pool, whether it's hiring lawyers into the talent pool or whether it's selecting firms, so much of the innovation that we've seen in law departments is coming out of the practices that have been studied practices of these law department operators. You know, thinking about ways that they can take the 500 firms that may serve a legal department and start to converge that number to a smaller number of firms so that the management practices that they implement with those firms can be more carefully monitored and more carefully delivered. Um, to the company's specifications. I mean, previously with 500 firms, every one of those firms is pretty much doing it the way they want to. But when a, when a law department starts with these innovative practices to converge the number of firms they're working with, whether it's through RFP processes or whether it's through uh, looking at the data which discusses how efficient and how effective some of the firms have been in rewarding more work to those firms and eliminating firms that haven't been as efficient and effective, however it is that they're converging, if you get down to a portfolio of, say, anywhere from 10 to, to 25 firms who are the primary firms getting you know, 80% of the work from the company, it's possible to establish a much stronger relationship that's much more collaborative and much more budget-focused and tightly uh, focused on shared technology and such. Um, maybe the innovative practices have to do with staffing. I mean, so much of the work that was previously done by law firms outside is now either being done inside in the company with highly trained and more um, cost-efficient staff who can who can learn that work and not have to charge at a higher rate for the company to have that work done on a, on a repeating basis or a routine basis. Perhaps it's hiring a variety of different kinds of service providers who, you know, frankly, lawyers weren't used to hiring, people who do everything from discovery work to staffing companies who can help with uh, 
surge work in the department where you don't have to hire a firm to do that, um, to, to organizations that are now much more focused on choosing talent in a more specific way than simply saying, well, that's a reputable firm, so I'll just send them the work. They're now driving in to the law firms to find the exact talent they need. So maybe it's staffing. Certainly you could talk about tech for forever. Um, you know, the kinds of matter management systems, the data that's derived from technology and how it's used to not only better manage the spend of the department, but to help make predictive decisions about which matters are likely to cost the company what and therefore should be settled sooner or shouldn't be taken at all or, you know, should be litigated. Every kind of innovation you can imagine is coming out of the emerging practices and, more importantly, the shared practices of these kinds of leaders as they talk in groups like ALA's groups. Largely, do you think these legal operations managers are driving a lot of the changes we see taking place in the legal industry, or are these innovations a response to those changes? You know, the the the, the lawyer answer to that question is it depends, right? <laughs> right. You know, I guess the answer is yes to both. You, you see people uh-huh. who are responding to change because they need to. I mean, their companies and their, their general counsel are, are demanding that they get better at what they do, and so they, as a result of that necessity, they are, they are responding to change. But I think that your question really hits it on the head because they are driving a lot of change in a profession that doesn't know how to respond to, <laughs> to a request that they become more businesslike in the how of what they do to provide these legal services that they're responsible for. No one disputes that lawyers are great at solving legal problems and doing legal analysis, but how they perform that, whether they can do it more efficiently, whether they can do it at a lower cost, whether they can do it um, with better knowledge practices, whether they can apply it through technology, all of those things are really, to my mind, coming out um, of legal departments that are larger where there are department managers like these ops people who are starting to define exactly what it is that their own teams internally as well as the external providers who are offering this work have to do. Once, you know, once the law department leader starts to establish the metrics with the leadership team for the legal department and for the corp- with the corporate managers who are most impacted as clients by this work, then it all starts to flow from that, right? You know, once you say this is the goal we must hit, people do what it is that they're paid to do. And if that's what they understand the goal to be, they start driving toward those kinds of practices that will allow them to get there. If you set the budget goal and you say we must meet this budget goal, people are far more likely to meet it than if you never really followed a budget in the past or if you set one before and said, oh, well, we busted it and there was no consequence to it. So, yes, they're responding to a desire and a, and a requirement from management, and from, you know, which is the corporate client, to get better at this stuff. But, but yes, they are leading the change in that they really have to be the ones who not only figure out how it can be done and what it is that we're driving toward, but how they're going to manage and collaborate across all these teams of providers, internal and external, who have to get the work done. So in the legal service marketplace, which, as we said, is so deeply rooted in traditional practices, what is the best way to drive innovation in that environment? And this is this applies to these legal department um, right. operations people as well as administrators in law firms. Well, clearly both 
in-house and outside counsel, namely all lawyers, are you know are ethically and professionally responsible and obligated to do the best they can for their clients. But the practical answer that I have found after working on these issues, both you know at ACC for so many years when I was working as at the Association of Corporate Counsel with in-house departments struggling with these questions, and as I've worked with law firms over time who are struggling to figure out how to respond to client and in-house demands. You know, if in-house counsel aren't taking a lead on this, if clients aren't demanding it, it's very easy for firms to say, you know, well, at the end of the day, I understand there's all this interesting stuff going on out there, but you know, we've been doing pretty well doing it the way we've done it for years and don't rock the boat. And if they aren't asking or they aren't demanding it in the sense that they won't hire me unless I provide it or they'll fire me if I don't provide it, then we're just going to keep on going along the way we go because it's much easier and, you know, hey, we've been doing pretty well doing it this way forever. So if clients aren't at the front of making sure that this is not only articulated exactly what they want, but managed, meaning that throughout the process that's the way the client is going to expect the firm to do it, and then thirdly, measured on it so that they can hold their feet to that fire. Quite honestly, there's too much inertia it's too easy to not change, and law firms will never change. So I'd love for my answer in a perfect world to be to say to you, well, you know, law firms are the ones who want to sell these services to clients, so they should be the ones responsible for thinking up better and new ways to do it. But the practical answer is if clients don't drive it, and the people in those companies who are driving it most are those ops leaders, it probably won't happen. So, you know, this is a group to watch. It's the group that is setting the standards. It's the group that is really setting a course for how the largest corporations and legal services marketplaces are going to demand work, and that's going to create the standards that will trickle down throughout the legal marketplace and create standards that start to apply, albeit at a different scale, but as the best practices for law firms and clients throughout the industry, all the way down to individual consumers. The kinds of things you're seeing being driven out of the most sophisticated legal departments in terms of technology for how they use their their lawyers and how they answer legal questions is the same stuff you're now seeing online. For all of these companies that are providing direct services to individual consumers who want a will or who want to figure out how to go through a no-fault divorce or whatever and use online resources for it. Same basic technologies, different scale but it's coming out of the most sophisticated and expensive clients who can afford to drive the change in the marketplace because they're so large and they control so much spend that they will have that impact. Susan, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you to our listeners and subscribers out there. Um, This has been a fascinating interview. You can learn more from Susan this September at ALA's Corporate Law Department Symposium. Uh, That's September 15th through 16th in Washington, D.C. You can register to attend at alanet.org slash CLDS. That's alanet.org slash CLDS. Until next time.